really excited for today's topic today, and I hope you are too. So we're doing this Ask Anything series, and you guys provided the questions. So if you don't like the questions, you have yourselves to blame, all right? Uh, this is a create your own series, and you guys created the series. So here's today's question. How does a couple know they love one another? And I know half the room is like going to lean in and be like, ooh, this is going to be good. Other half is like, ew. Right? And uh, so anyway, we'll just, we'll, we'll get into this topic. So many years ago, I had this intern. None of you knew her. This is like 10 years ago. And uh, I had this intern who was dating this guy, and they were starting to get serious. And she would often come and have conversations with me about this guy, and I didn't really know him that well, because he actually went to a different church, which that was kind of weird. Like, they went to different churches. That's red flag, I would say. And, uh, and then um, they're starting to get serious, and she wrestled with months for this, with this question. She wrestled for months with this question, how do we know if we love one another? And how do I know if this is the one? And we had like counsel, countless, countless conversations about this. Now, spoiler alert, they did not get married, all right? It didn't end well, at least not. If that's what, if that's what you were cheering for, it didn't end well in that regard. But uh, here's the problem with this question initially, is that in the English language, we only have one word for love. And we say things like, I love you, or I love tacos. We use the word interchangeably. Now, you know we don't mean it the same way when we say that, that second statement. But we also, when it comes to the context of relationships, we often uh, think of this concept of love as something that just happens to us, like that we have no choice in the matter. Um, we, be, we believe like loving someone is like catching an illness. Like either you have it or you don't, Right? And so how do I know if I have it with this particular person? So here's what I told this intern like 10 plus years ago, and what I even tell people today, is this is what I, I kind of walk people through when they have this kind of question. So there's, you got to think of the words more in biblical words, like not the English way of thinking of love. So like there's more than one, there's more than three biblical words for love, but here's the three that I always put out there. The first is the word eros, which is physical attraction and probably the one you're most familiar with, all right? And then the second one is phileo, which is friendship love, where we get Philadelphia, or as I say, Philadelphia, right? And uh, no offense, Cartwrights, no offense. Um, but there's phileo, okay, and it's friendship love. And then there's agape, which is this unconditional love, all right? Now, the first two kinds of love. The first love is the one that you're most familiar with. It's the one that you think of. It's the one that you, you, you think either you have this or you don't with someone. And I will admit, it does kind of just happen to you. Like you didn't really plan for it. You just meet someone and there's just this attraction and you didn't decide it. They didn't decide it, but you just seem to have that. And I would say that's probably one that just does seem to just happen. Either you have it or you don't. The second is phileo. That's more like a friendship connection, friendship love. That also can just sort of happen um, just naturally, right? Either you have it or you don't. But this third one is the one that I would say is a choice. 
and it's agape, and it's the kind of love that God has for us. This is unconditional love. And, of course, most of us think of, of, of just simply eros is all we think of when it, when it comes to love. And, uh, and so whenever I would talk to this intern person years ago, I just said, I kind of walked her through and said, listen, okay, do you have this thing called eros? And she's like, well, yeah, I think so. And then do you have this phileo friendship love? And she was like, not so sure about that one. And I said, well, listen, if you've got the first two of these in a relationship with someone, the next question you have to ask yourself is, Am I going to step out now and make a choice and choose to agape this person and love them unconditionally? That's the kind of love that I think is a choice and the kind of love you're choosing when it comes to when you're heading towards engagement or potential marriage with someone. And of course, it's the kind of love that God has for us. Now, this is why I do not think that you should say the words, I love you in a dating relationship until... You are ready to move towards engagement or marriage, this agape kind of love. You may feel the first one, eros, towards someone, or you may even have a friendship love for someone, but when you say those words, it implies commitment. And I think saying those words too casually or too early can, of course, lead to confusion and hurt, especially when or if you break up. And it's like, wait a second, I thought you said this. Well, no, I, was, I just meant the first one, all right? All right, so you got to be careful how you use this word and how you throw it around. Now, you might hear this and say, okay, I've, I've, I've got the first two loves with this particular person, so I guess now I can move on to the third, this love that's a choice, agape love. But here's the question, should you? Because what if that person's not a believer? You know, people think that they have no control over who they love. They think love just kind of happens to them. But they really do have a choice in the matter because you might have the first two, Eros and Phileo, but if they're not a Christ follower and you consider yourself a Christ follower, you shouldn't be feeding those first two loves. And you should not move into agape love with that person because you have a choice in the matter. So for the sake of this talk, we're going to assume that both people are devoted Christ followers, and both people have good character. No one's perfect, of course, but they have good character. They repent when they fall into sin, and we're going to pretend like the loves phileo and eros are also present. So now what? So how do you know if you should move forward into agape kind of love with this person? So um, I'm going to walk you through. These are four ways to know that you know. Now, just to let you know, this, uh, the main points I'm getting here, um, we covered some of this in our series last year on relationships. Um, if you want to get a really good book, this is called Single, Dating, Engaged, Married. It's by Ben Stewart. It's an excellent book, probably the best book I've ever read on this topic. And it's really for everyone, no matter what stage of life that you're in. And I'd highly recommend that you get it before you step into anything with anybody. And so he, these are the points that he lays out in the section on engagement. So the four ways to know that, you know, the first one is a strong sense of commitment. Now, another way to ask this is, do you both want to work through problems? Not asking if you're able to, but if you have a strong desire to do so. Over in Song of Solomon, we, re we read these words, and this is the, this woman saying these words to the man. And she says, set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm 
For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So you're going to see today that, that love can be compared to this, like, this fire. And we're going to come back to this analogy later on. But how is love like death? Like, we don't typically put that in a Valentine's Day card, do we? You know, my love for you is like death. And you're like, you're weird. We're breaking up. This is not going to continue to happen. And uh, so, but love and death are alike in this way. Because when death takes hold of something, it never lets go. And so, Love has a way of, of grabbing hold and saying, I'm staying for better or for worse. And so we see this commitment element when it comes to this kind of love. Now listen, I'm not saying you should have this kind of commitment with someone while dating someone because part of dating is evaluating. That's what dating is, right? Are they the kind of person that I should be with? Now, so, so dating isn't the same thing as marriage, but dating is still a bit of a commitment, right? So if the other person is, if they're like dating multiple people at the same time, that's not really a sense of commitment, is it? So this verse mentions jealousy. You know, many see jealousy as a negative thing. We might often say, well, you know, that person, they're just so jealous. It's like, well, okay, but if if you were just saying hi to someone, hey, good morning, and they kind of freaked out about it, yeah, that's like an ungodly jealousy. That's an overreactive jealousy. But if you were kind of really flirtatious or maybe doing other things with that other person, then they kind of have a right to be jealous. I would call that a godly jealousy. And so God, of course, is a jealous God. And there's a way to be godly jealous. There's also a way to be overreactive jealous. This is referring to a godly jealousy here. But in the dating relationship, is there, is, is there a desire for both people to work through problems? Ben Stewart, he says this. Evaluate long enough to see how the relationship survives when drama comes. Now, there are many couples who don't evaluate long enough. If I'm counseling with a couple, I'll often ask questions like, you know, when, when have you had a conflict and how did you handle it? How did you work it out? And if they say, well, we, we never disagree. Well, see, now I'm worried because you're just not being honest with each other, if that's the case. You don't really know each other well enough if you never have a disagreement about, about anything. Because these trials have a way of exposing what's in your heart and, and really dealing with, like, how badly do you want to be committed to this relationship? Song of Solomon 8.7 says, Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he'd be utterly despised. So if love is like a fire, this is saying even, even a flood can't put out that fire. Even all the water in the world can't put out that fire. If there's this commitment level in the relationship. So you've got to date someone long enough to have some disagreements about some fundamental issues. And when those things arise in a relationship, is there a desire in both people to work through it in a godly and understanding way? Now, if, if the problems are resulting from one of the person's lack of character, 
that's a whole different situation. Because sometimes in a relationship that's dysfunctional is you may be having issues and problems that are stemming from one or both person's character issues. And if the, if the problems are stemming from that, you've got a much bigger issue. And I would recommend to you that you shouldn't stay and work it out. You probably should end the relationship. Because if someone's lack of character is creating the problems, you don't need to stay and work it out. I'm referring to like, is there a willingness for repentance here in the situation, whatever it might, might be. So remember, you're not, you're not married. You're just, you're just dating at this level of your relationship. So this, that's the first thing, a strong sense of commitment. The, se- the, the second is a growing skill of communication. So can you navigate relational conflict? Can you disagree in a way that promotes unity rather than disunity? Proverbs 12, 18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We, we use the phrase sometimes, you know, that person, they just, they stab people in the back. And we know what that means. Like, we hope it means, like, not literal, right? That they don't literally do that, but they use their words to stab people and to hurt people. And that's what Proverbs is talking about here. Some people use words like weapons, and they just launch into tirades with people, or they're always causing drama. So this is the kind of person that wounds people in order to win the argument. Listen, you can be crazy about somebody, but if you can't communicate with each other when life gets difficult, you're not going to make it in a relationship with someone. So if a couple told me, all we do is fight. Like, we just fight all the time. But, you know, it, it just brings us so much closer together. It's like, well, hang on. If you fight all the time, that's a red flag. But it's also a red flag if they never disagree about anything. And listen, how you resolve the disagreements, I think, is the key. Or sometimes what you'll see in a relationship is that one person is like the super opinionated, extroverted, outgoing. They just, they talk a lot. And they share all their opinions all the time. And as you know, opposites often attract, right? So that person sometimes is often drawn to the person who's maybe less opinionated, a little more quiet, because that person will put up with all of their opinions. And what could happen is there's like this dominant personality in the relationship, and they they speak all the time. And so if, if you never disagree because, like, one person just drives everything, other person just is kind of passive and quiet, doesn't ever say anything, that can also be, I think, a red flag sometimes, that you should allow the other person to have some input. And if your lack of conflict is simply because, well, this person just always gets their way and always wins, well, that's not really a healthy lack of conflict, right? Proverbs 15.4 says this, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So what, what do you do when your feelings get hurt? Are you the kind of person that you, you lash out at people when you feel injured in that way? Or do you, are you the person that you, you give the silent treatment? You know, I'm not going to let them in anymore. I'm not going to let them get to me. And so you just turn it off and you just give them the silent treatment and don't let anybody else in. We've got to be able to speak in a way 
that gives life to each other. And, and this is what can produce growth and closeness in, in this kind of relationship. Ben Stewart, he writes, when you disagree with someone, I found this statement so helpful, when you disagree with someone, you need to focus on his or her actions and your feelings. Now, this is so important that you understand this. I'm giving you guys like a 20-year head start because most of the time, I didn't learn this stuff till I was like 40. But you need to understand that whenever there's a conflict with someone, the healthy way to handle that is to go to that person and say, look, this is what you did, and this is how I felt about that. And that should be the starting point of your conversation. It should not be that you're, that you're diving into motive and assigning motive to what they did. You're trying to make me look so stupid. You were trying to make me look dumb in front of those other people. You start assigning motive, and now the person is like, I, I don't think I was trying to do that. I, I mean, and you, now you're off the races, and you are discussing something totally different. And I, I will say that my, my wife and I, we struggled with this, I think, early on in our marriage, where one of us would say to the other, we would assign motive to what they had done. We would say, you did this, and I think you were trying to do this when you did that. And now they're having to argue about two different things, right? And, you're having to, and, and, then, and then you get defensive. You're like, I, I don't think I was trying to do that. Well, now you're getting defensive. And now that's a, that's a third argument now. And it can be really, really difficult. So the best thing to do is to go to the person and say, hey, here's what you did, or here's what you said, and here's how I felt about that. Here's what I felt about that. That's a much better place to start these discussions if you're in a relationship with someone. And not to jump into motive or assigning blame or, or what their motive might be. Now, um, I think a better way to handle conflict, uh, of course, is to, I just mentioned this, is to focus on their actions and your feelings. Um, and so uh, this is really, I think, one of the best skills of communication you can, you can delve into. And listen, this is stuff you can apply to your friendships. We discussed friendship last week. You can apply this stuff to your friendships even now as you begin to get ready for a potential person that you might marry someday. Now, uh, the third point is this. Survive a moment of confession. Now, this should not be something that you cover in the first conversation with someone, all right? Like, you first, if you first meet someone and you're kind of feeling like the vibe, you're like, I, I think I kind of like this person, and then you just, the first time you interact, like, you confess your deepest, darkest secret, like, don't do that. That's weird. Like, that's too much information. And listen, as you grow mature, I wouldn't even recommend that you do that, like, even early on in the dating relationship, all right? That's going to come much later as you begin to grow in seriousness and think this might be someone I could potentially be with for the rest of my life. So, so don't make this like the, the first thing you say to someone um, unless you want the relationship to end quickly, okay? So, um, but this is so important because if things are getting more serious and things are progressing, then there does need to be a time in your life where you're gonna have some things to confess to each other. Some sin struggles, it might be some 
some past sin struggles. It might be some current sin struggles. Or it might be some things that has been done to you that you're just carrying some baggage about. It might be something like that. Now listen, I don't recommend that you have a hard conversation like this with someone about these delicate topics like you know, sexual brokenness or some kind of an abusive situation without first seeking the wisdom of someone else. I'd recommend that before you have that conversation with that person, you go to a mentor, a counselor, a pastor, someone that you trust, and you say, hey, I need to share these things with this person. Help me understand, like, what's the best way for me to go about doing that? And what's a wise way for me to go about doing that? Because listen, it doesn't mean you need to share every single graphic detail. You may not need to do that. This person can kind of help you filter, like, how much detail you might need to share because the, the goal is to share enough for it to be a legitimate confession. Like, you don't just go to the person and say, yeah, I used to struggle with some stuff. Okay, that's not like a legitimate confession, but okay. But it needs to be a legitimate confession, but you also need to leave out some of the graphic details sometimes. Now, you might say, well, how is my past any of that person's business? Well, I think, first of all, it says to the other, to, to the other person, it says, I trust you. As a relationship is growing and progressing, I, I trust you to be able to handle what I'm about to tell you. Even in my brokenness, I, I trust you. And secondly, this can be powerfully healing in a relationship. You're not keeping secrets from anybody. You're not holding back from anybody. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So listen, if the other person, if they know the mercy of God, if they know the grace of God, they might struggle initially with the confession, but if they know the mercy and grace of God, they're going to be able to show you mercy and grace when you confess these things to them. And you may hear words like, I am really sorry that happened to you, or I forgive you, or I still want to be with you. And those are healing words. Those are healing words to a relationship and to a person. You know, honest conversation about your past can, can strengthen the bond between you. And the chances are that when one of you begins to open up and confess some things, the other person will as well. When I, I shared this back in our series a year ago, that when uh, Courtney and I began dating, we started getting more serious and and there was a time where she sat me down and said, I need to confess some things to you. And I said, well, guess what? I need to confess some things to you as well. And those were hard conversations, but at the same time, it was like God brought us both to a place to say, you know what? But I still want to be with you. And those are healing words for both of us to hear in that relationship. And that is an extension of the mercy and grace of God at work. You see, God's grace and mercy is not just an idea. It's not just some far-off idea that like, oh yeah, we understand God, God loves and cares for us. He's gracious and merciful with us. It sounds just like an idea sometimes, but when someone is sitting right in front of you, someone that you love and care for, 
And you confess some things to them, and they confess some things to you. And you say, but I still want to be with you. I'm still for you. Those are, that is God's grace and mercy being put into action. And you're participating in a real way in your life, receiving that mercy and grace and extending that mercy and grace to someone else. And that, by doing that, it teaches you the gospel. You get a tangible taste of the gospel in your life. And it's a miracle. So listen, if you're on the receiving end of that conversation, this might be very difficult for you. But listen, remember, any, for any follower of Christ, sin is not their identity. Jesus is their new identity. Reminded of a, of a passage in one of the first or second Corinthians where Paul's talking about, Paul lists off all these sins, and it's a bunch of different sins he lists. And then he says, but such were some of you. But you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. And so one day, someone's going to sit you down, or you're going to sit them down, and you're going to say, I need to share some things with you. And the question you have to ask yourself is, do I believe the words that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians? That this person, they are washed, they are sanctified, and they are justified. And that's who they used to be, but that's no longer who they are. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe it about them? You will have to answer that question one day. And the last point is the support of your community. This is so important because you need wise people around you speaking into your life always, but especially in areas like relationships. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now listen, you don't need advice from everybody. Like we're not asking you to take a survey on the street, you know, and like a vote of some kind. But a few wise people that you identify in your life, whom you trust, you need these conversations with people well before an engagement. The problem is many times people will just, they show up with the ring on their finger, hey, we're engaged, and everyone's like, who is this? We don't even know who this person is. There's been no guidance whatsoever in the process. And, and listen, you are inviting people into your life and giving them permission to point out problem areas or lack of health. Listen, we go through all this stuff in our culture to invite people to a wedding. Listen, invite people into your life before the wedding. We, we do the stationery and the invitations. Spend a lot more time focusing on inviting people into your life than just inviting them to a wedding and to an event. And you've got to start off early on this. You should be seeking counsel along the way. And again, these are not just people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. I would not recommend that your best friend be the only person that you're consulting about these things. Why? Because they want to keep the peace with you. They like you. They want to keep the friendship. But seek people that are maybe not just your best friend. People that you might respect and trust that may tell you the truth. <coughs> So the people around you 
are saying, like, this thing isn't really healthy. You know, the question is, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you walking down this road? It's why I tell people I recommend pre-engagement counseling, not just premarital counseling. Because once the ring's on the finger, usually it's often too late. They're like, no, no, we're doing this. It's, there's a date. We got a venue. There's flowers. We got a photographer. Once they're so far down the road, they're not going to go back. So I say, look, pre-engagement counseling, if you're going to do this the right way. Ben Stewart writes, the voices of the wise around you who can agree with you that this relationship is a good thing, when the chorus of the wise sound their approval, you can cross that threshold into marriage with confidence. So when you're moving towards engagement in marriage, there should be this community or like chorus of people around you saying like, yes, this is right, this is good, and this is, this is of God, and we are the community coming in support of what is happening here. So I want to go back to the three loves idea, eros, phileo, and agape. And I've heard some use the analogy of a flame. Like think of each one like an, an individual flame, right? And eros, of course, certainly feels that way when you first meet someone. There's this like rush of excitement, you know, attraction. Um, a flame, of course, has been lit and you feel like, you know, singing and dancing, you start writing poetry. I mean, it's just everything is, is happening. The sun seems brighter, you know, food tastes better, like all is right in the world. That's what it seems like at first. But at this point, what happens is that many people start down the physical road. They think, I'm attracted to this person, so we'll just start doing stuff. Now, this would be like pouring lighter fluid on the flame. And now the flame is like full on fire, and it, and of course it provides some warmth for your love-starved soul at first, right? I mean, if they're, if they're of the age to get married, this is when people get engaged, and it's just all based on the first love, this eros thing, right? But listen, here's the, here's the key. If you think of each kind of love as a flame, right? The, the, the flame of friendship love hasn't been really lit yet. Agape love hasn't been lit yet, this unconditional love. But it's really those two, those second two loves, that are going to keep the marriage alive and keep commitment secure. And this is, and it's God's desire that these three flames all burn together as one. That's when they burn their brightest. And I think when they have the best chance of being a reflection of the kind of love that he has for his church. And that's really what he's trying to teach you. Did you know that? In a marriage related, he's trying to teach you the love that he has for his church. That's the point of it. So this agape, unconditional love, this love that is a choice, I think has to be the one that is keeping the other two loves alive and reflecting what God wants him to be. So we're going to head to